0: U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC.
1: Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to the Preseason Pods for Year 3 of Rotowire's signature NHL Hockey Pod podcast with Statsman and AJ Friends. I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJ AJScholes24. It's AJSCHOLZ24. I'm not going to spell it out every week, AJ. After four (laughs) Preseason Pods, our fans are going to get this or they're not. Today, we we bring you the second of our four Preseason Divisional Previews. And we will continue that trip around the NHL today with the, our look at the central division of the National Hockey League. But before we get into our second divisional preview, we have a significant trade to dissect, partner. And uh, I'm going to spell it out, but I want your feedback on this one. The Montreal Canadiens finally uh, ended the Ma- Max Pacioretty offseason saga by trading him to the Vegas Golden Knights in exchange for Thomas Tatar, who, a former 2017 first-round pick Nick Suzuki, who had 100 points in junior last year and a second round choice in the upcoming 2019 nhl draft now vegas uh the deal was contingent on vegas signing patch and they wasted little time getting him to ink uh his signature on a four-year deal with an average uh, cap hit of seven million dollars per season over the next four years what say you about this deal
0: well i i i think it's interesting um the, f- the first thing more most uh, kind of controversially is that Pacioretty's agent claims uh, that the player didn't submit any sort of trade request. Well, the, the reports coming out of the team, uh, you know, the the team brass there is saying that he did. So uh, it's really interesting how that I mean, somebody's clearly not telling the truth here. Either he did or he didn't. Um, and, and it'd be I'm. I mean, if I'm him, I probably would have, too. Uh, so it's hard to blame him. I guess maybe they're trying to just avoid some ill will next time he has to go back to Montreal. But um, all of that aside, I think this is a good deal on both ends. Uh, the Golden Knights essentially are replacing James Neal with Max Pacioretty. Uh, he gets to find a, a new home. Less pressure than playing in Montreal uh, because he's not going to be expected to be the face of the franchise or even uh, really the leading scorer with that team. Uh, Montreal gets Thomas Tatar. Nick Suzuki, I think, is going to be a phenomenal player for them. Uh, you know he uh, can play center he can play wing as you mentioned 100 points last year and they pick up an extra draft choice the the contract term uh, the length of the deal is fine the the salary is maybe a titch high um, but it's not outrageous Um, you know he he becomes the second highest player uh, paid player on the team next year when that uh, extension kicks in tied with Marc-Andre Fleury there so there are some questions about how they'll fit uh, a couple of guys, William Carlson, uh, Alex Took uh, under the salary cap moving forward, but I think they should be fine. Uh, so overall, I think it's a win-win for everybody.
1: I'm going to pan this deal a little more than you did, pal. I'm going to say Thomas Tatar is a 20-goal is a scorer in decline In uh, coming out of this situation last year. He split time between two teams, notching 20 goals for the sec- fourth year in a row. But I just think this guy's best years have already been played, and he's going to be a depth guy in Montreal. Uh, the, the draft pick uh, coming up next year, second rounder, well, Vegas had a, a number of second round picks, so they could afford to deal that one away. Suzuki could be a real interesting prospect as well, as you said. Pacioretty on the other side of it. I think this is a player in decline AJ Uh, certainly he has feels will feel less pressure in Vegas but I think last year he took a major step backwards maybe it was because of the stress of playing in Montreal under that circumstance so I should probably throw a mulligan but I'm not inclined to do so for anybody that's related to the Montreal Canadiens you know (laughs) so uh, I'll take a a bit bit of a harsher line it could be a good deal for both teams and uh, maybe your assessments more uh, balanced than mine just because I get emotional when I talk about the Canadians I hate them so much much <laughs> but uh no seriously i think like you said i think it's a win-win situation uh let's be let me be serious for a moment they get three pieces here i think they did better than than i thought they were going to do uh, with the the way pacioretty was kind of holding them for ransom i think both sides uh, in terms of the montreal management and the uh, pacioretty um, team uh, of negotiators they they took hard lines here and this was a situation Montreal did better than I thought in terms of the haul that they got in terms of assets and certainly Vegas like you said needed a replacement for James Neal they got one here and a guy in, like Pacioretty who has a pretty nice resume when you look at the consistency of scoring that he has so there's my honest assessment of it after the little fun that I had off the top
0: <laughs> <laughs> well and let's not forget too I mean Suzuki uh, and uh I believe tatar um were part of the uh part of the deal that uh forced william carlson on the uh on the golden knights uh as part of uh you know taking him in the expansion draft uh which is not a decision they're regretting at any point either so um you know they're they're playing with house money here basically uh trading away stuff columbus gave them for free uh in order to get patch so Um, that's that's an important factor as well but uh, before we kick off the rest of the show just remind our listeners that throughout the week if you have questions about your lineups fantasy hockey or just hockey in general uh, obviously a lot of our listeners out there are going to be getting ready for draft season if you have draft questions keeper questions that kind of stuff Tweet at us. We'll try and answer your questions either during the week or perhaps in one of our upcoming shows. As Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJScholes24. I'll start spelling it when you stop spelling it, Paul. Uh, and you can follow Paul at StatsMan22.
1: All right, and as we did last week, we're going to go through the salary cap situations of each team, take you through the depth charts at forward, defense, and goaltending. We begin our look with a team that I think is in decline. Uh, They got a high-end situation at the salary cap that's going to strangle them for a little bit. We'll get into that in a sec. We're talking, of course, about the Chicago Blackhawks. They have a cap situation that's kind of uh, skewed big time with the fact that Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves are now into the portion of their contracts long-term nature as they are for the next several years, where they each get a cap hit of $10.5 million. So collectively eating up $21, 000, $21 million of uh, of the total cap, that's a very high percentage, and that leaves them with a whole host of forwards that are in the, the million-dollar range. So uh, you and I might be eligible to join this team in a few years, AJ, <laughs> the way this thing is made up. So they need the salary cap to rise to give them more flexibility. Uh, Witness the fact that after the top five guys, we're down into the million-dollar player, Chris Kunitz, who was brought in last year. He's a over 35 years of age nick schmaltz at 925 and down it goes Uh, a whole host of guys are potential ufas and rfas on this list Uh, maybe schmaltz is the most significant rfa on the among this group from my perspective among the forwards and you look at the defense similarly a high-end situation with paying the likes of brent seabrook and duncan keith for years to come and uh, those guys are well into their 30s, so uh, I think the future is bleak in terms of uh, the flexibility the Hawks will have, and in goal, it's very similar. They've got two guys over the 30-year mark, including the recent addition of Cam Ward, who they signed for one season at $3 million, behind Corey Crawford, who had his injury woes last year. He's got two years to go, including this season, at a $6 million cap hit, so I think... This is a very tough situation in terms of the cap circumstance with Chicago. I would like your rebuttal on that comment.
0: Well, you won't get any sort of rebuttal on that one. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty much as you described it. I mean, uh, they've got at least five guys playing uh, on ent- uh, entry-level contracts uh, who are making less than a million dollars and are going to need to get paid next season. Uh, the, the interesting one for me, I, I know... Uh, the question marks about Corey Crawford, and, and they obviously could fit it this year, but three million for Cam Ward, uh, they're not going to be paying paying him that next year. And as you pointed out, twenty one million between Kane and Taves, they're paying their entire defense twenty two million. So you're looking at the defense, Kane and Taves. You, uh, you're already halfway to the cap at at about forty three million. You add almost another ten with the netminders, and you're at fifty three there. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, it's it's a tight situation. They'll obviously make it work this year. Um, but how everything shakes out next year is going to be really interesting to see.
1: All right. Let's dive into the forward mix, AJ. And we take a look and the first for, first line projects to be Brendan Saad along with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. If they hold that unit together. I suggest to you and our listeners that Brendan Sod should be highly sought after uh, if you follow my sidekick theory where I look at top pairs of, of forwards and see who's filling in the line situation there. So he would be a real good pickup, but they, I could also see them switching it up and, and moving Kane down or maybe moving Alex DeBrincat up into Saad, uh, Brendan Sod's position. And Alex DeBrincat is a guy who's coming off a pretty nice rookie season, 52 points in a full slate of games. He played all 82 last year and so he has proven to me that he uh, continues to show the scoring ability that he had in junior as a real top-notch sniper, and he's found found himself a pretty good situation in Chicago for the next couple of years. If he can stay in the top six there, I see no reason why not, and if he gets the first line mix, those numbers could even be higher. Uh, In terms of filling out that second line, Nick Schmaltz is a guy who leapfrogged over Artem and Nisimov to, to take hold of the second line scoring role at center he had 52 points last season plus one so that tells you uh, this team is in a bit of a decline when they're top scorers uh, they can't seem to get too high above the plus in terms of plus-minus rating as well. A guy that we, I project might break into the top six on right wing is Dylan Sakura. He had 54 points in 35 games at Northeastern University last year. He had a cup of coffee with the Hawks as well in five games, picking up three assists. I expect they're going to give him a longer look at camp, and he could really win out a top six situation if he delivers, as his pedigree projects that it might. From there, we drop into depth players on the third line. They, they bring in a guy from Sweden. Victor Edgsell, he had a cup of coffee as well last year playing in six games, but what he did in Sweden was what intrigues me. 34 points in 50 games played, not quite a point-of-game player, but you don't worry about that so much in the Swedish league. Uh, I think uh, it's a young guy who's playing in a men's league, and so you got to give him credit for, for... coming up with that kind of point total there it's impressive enough and uh, gets him a look in the third line situation potentially as I mentioned Artiman Nismov probably lost a second line job he was in decline in terms of his scoring only 31 points last year but a minus 17 he'll have to do much better than that to move back up in the ranks and the third line finishes up with John Hayden 47 games played 13 points achieved so that's typical of what you might expect from a fourth liner and uh, he won't go anywhere higher than that unless he improves in terms of depth players a couple of guys of note that they brought in chris kunitz from tampa a veteran who will challenge for uh, moving up into the maybe third line situation uh, if Edgel doesn't work out he's kind of insurance there and Marcus Kruger from Carolina provides some center depth uh, he was in the Chicago system before so they know a little bit about him so that's my look at the uh, forward situation AJ what do you think?
0: Yeah I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there um, I, I can see Perhaps uh, Schmaltz and Anisimov flipping throughout the season. I think Edgecell and Debrincat, same thing. They'll kind of compete for that top six spot throughout the year. Um, one kind of prospect, younger guy that could make an impact uh, I see in this forward grouping is Matthew Highmore. Uh, he, you know, again, another guy that just got a brief stint. Uh, last year but uh, had 43 points in 64 games uh, for Rockford last year first professional season after being uh, in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League Uh, and so I think he's another one that could make a bit of an impact here you know especially uh, you know I'm not sold on the on the right wingers behind Sakura you know John Hayden David David Kampf uh, these aren't necessarily guys that I foresee racking up some some big numbers there and so I think there's a chance for Highmore to kind of slide in there. Uh, you know, we look at the the defense uh, there, you know, the top pairings not going to change for you. You've got Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, uh, both these guys getting a little long in the tooth there, um, but they, uh, you know, both over 30 uh, Seabrook, 33 Keith, 35, but uh, they should still continue uh, to contribute at their usual kind of consistent rates there. From there uh, it gets a little bit more of uh, more of a question mark for me you 've got Eric uh, Gustafson and Jan Ruta kind of projecting to be that second pairing Brandon Manning uh, and Connor Murphy as the third but easily Brandon Davidson could be in the mix uh, Mikael Roosevelt could uh, factor in as well you know he missed uh, a lot of la- uh, actually all of last season uh, due to concussion issues so he 's probably done but there's also a chance that he could be healthy and make an impact. I'm guessing for the most part he won't um, but it is possible. And then obviously youngster Blake Hillman uh, is kind of their their next uh, next round of defensemen here. It'll be interesting what they want to do with him. Uh, I don't think sitting on the bench is going to be or rather sitting in the press box is going to be good for his development. So if they don't see you know, a spot for him on a night to night basis, I would expect him to head uh, to the minors. So that's how it kind of breaks down for me. Uh, Keith and Seabrook, uh, I think, should still be able to kind of contribute at their usual numbers, uh, you know, uh, 32 points for for Keith last year uh, 26 for Seabrook both of them played almost the entire season Uh, and so I think you'll get about the same uh, from those two guys
1: yeah the Hawks would certainly like to see a bounce back in terms of the plus minus ratings for Keith minus 29 on his ledger That's uh, more of an indictment on the team than the player, I would suggest. But the 32 points, is a drop-off, significant drop-off of what he's had over the previous years. So if you're looking at uh, name recognition, don't be swayed by the fact that Keith is uh, regarded in some circles as one of the best defensemen in the last 10 years. He's definitely on the back 40, as I like to say. And uh, that decline might just be indicative of a further decline that we might see this season. I'm intrigued by the addition of Brandon Manning from philadelphia he had 19 points there and uh didn't get a chance to play top minutes too much he won't get that here either but i could see him challenging for second pairing time he has a bit of bite to his game that say a player like jan ruta doesn't have so maybe he moves up just because of that factor connor murphy another guy that i like in in that depth situation i like this third pair op- opportunity hillman of course an interesting prospect could push both these guys and then guys like davidson and roosevelt they're just strictly uh, uh, depth options. Davidson's bounced around with three teams last year to show uh, our listeners that this guy is really a fill-in kind of situation. In terms of the net-minding mix, there's three names that factor in. Of course, I mentioned Corey Crawford and Cam Ward. They'll likely split duties as uh, maybe one of the oldest tandems in the NHL. Corey Crawford needs to show that he's healthy, though he only participated in 28 games last year. That's a real red flag for me, and if I'm looking for a top goalie, this is not where I'm going to find one, I don't think. Uh, Certainly, again, a name recognition guy, but best days behind him and maybe maybe best situation behind him there. Ward is a guy who had a bit of a rebound last year and uh, really challenged for playing time more than we thought he would. He appeared in 43 games. I don't think he's going to get that many this year in the backup role, and he could even be pushed by Anton Forsberg, a third goalie in this mix, AJ.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what uh, happens with Corey Crawford here, because they've been, you know, it's been all along kind of, oh yeah, he'll be ready for camp, he'll be ready for camp, he'll be ready for camp, but uh, you know, everything, uh, I'm not seeing kind of the 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 proof isn't in the pudding for me for for uh, to find a way to kind of phrase this I'm and the fact that they brought in Cam Ward is a little bit telling as well Um, you're not paying a guy like that three million dollars if you don't think he's gonna play Um, and so I'm I'm overall concerned I mean for me uh, if if I'm looking at uh, potentially drafting Corey Crawford I'm gonna skip it Um, You know, the team, as you mentioned, doesn't look as strong as it has in past years. That's going to hurt his numbers. I think even if he is healthy, uh, they're not going to play him as much because they do have Cam Ward uh, to kind of back him up. So for me, Corey Crawford's a big pass this year uh, in season long formats. I I just am not sold that he's going to be completely back to 100 percent. And even if he is, like I said, I think Cam Ward's going to get Uh, some pretty consistent uh, starts this season to to kind of spell uh, Crawford uh, periodically so yeah some some huge question marks there for me Um, heading into you know we'll talk about Colorado next uh, looking at the cap situation here Uh, this is another team that's got a ton of uh, restricted free agents that they got to look at uh, re-signing next year kind of the biggest one there is Sven Andragetto uh, he uh, making 1.4 this year, probably going to want a significant raise from that heading into next season. Uh, Alexander Kerfoot is another one. Miko Rantanen needs needs a new deal as well next year. So um, some pretty big uh, question marks there. Defensively, it's more of the same. You've got Nikita Zadarov, Anton Lindholm, both going to be restricted free agents. Uh, Patrick Nemeth as a U. uh Uh, A UFA. So I I would guess they'll try and sign him to a longer, longer deal. Uh, And then Colin Wilson as well. I can't imagine that they're going to want to pay. Colin Wilson's making almost $4 million this year. Uh, that seems a little high for me based on his uh, production. I can't imagine they're going to want to match that. He'll probably test the open market from there. Uh, and then uh, the biggest question uh, for this team in terms of contracts, Simeon Varlamov uh, is going to be an unrestricted free agent next year. He's making five point nine this year. And they just brought in Philip Grubauer via trade and gave him an extension. He's making 3.3 to sit on the bench this year. Uh, I'm guessing, looking at the Condra situation, that this will be the last year in the Mile High City for Varlamov. Uh, they will let him walk, I'm guessing, after this season. And Philip Grubauer will be the man heading into the future. That's just the way it looks like contract-wise. We'll obviously see how that works out. Um, but, yeah, it's it's another club. Uh, that's got a lot more question marks next year uh, than than they have answers at this point.
1: Right, and currently they're twelve and a half million dollars under the cap, or twelve point one million dollars under the cap max. So they have a little bit of flexibility. You expect the cap to go up every year, but that will quickly get eaten up. I would think. I would suggest be just because of the large number of RFAs and UFAs that they have on their roster. I agree with you. I think they walk away from uh, Varlamov's. and say there's no way they're going to give him that kind of money again unless this guy, he's at 30 years of age, AJ, and maybe he accepts a bit of a of a, a drop in the contract to continue to work with Philip Grubauer in that mix, you know, you mentioned that Grubauer is signed for three years there, and he's 26 years old. He showed well in Washington last season, and that's why he earned this deal. And maybe they're looking for him to get a larger share of the net. Uh, this could really be a situation to watch, and there could be a bit of a changing of the guard here. Varlamov certainly held the fort for so many years. We'll get into it in more, a little more in depth, but I think they, they're in a comfortable spot in terms of the cap situation, more so than some of the other teams around the loop here, and. Uh, We'll begin our detailed look into into this situation by considering the forward mix in Colorado. Again, top heavy in terms of talent. Uh, At the top line, one of the best forward lines in hockey last season when you consider Gabriel Landeskog Nathan McKinnon uh, did what they normally do and that's play at almost a point a game pace c- combined but most of that's on McKinnon who had a really b- breakout season and was content in contention for player of the year heart trophy uh, consideration Rantanen, though a breakout player I uh, hope people listened to us last year because we called this circumstance he was better than a point per game and I expect if he can stay on that top unit he'll threaten those marks again uh, Landis Gog underperformed a little bit relative to the other two with 62 points. I think he could do better, but uh, one of the things that I really like here is both McKinnon and Landeskog were high plus players so giving you an indication they control play when they're on the ice and uh, they're pretty good uh, at both ends of the rink. In terms of the depth it falls off a little bit but one of the guys that I have a little bit more faith in is Carl Soderberg holding down that second line at center. He'll do better than the 37 points that he scored last year I think uh, just because he's a veteran player who gets it and will face lesser checking than the top unit and uh, needs to get some help on that second line you mentioned andre ghetto he's a guy who should do better than the 22 points that he scored last year and the minus 15 on the other flank it's matt nieto at the moment so they could certainly use an upgrade on the wings maybe that comes in the form of the third liner tyson yost who was a high draft pick recently aj Uh, 22 points and a minus 10 in 65 games he'll do better than that he's into his third year as a pro and that's typically when some players take off so if you're looking for a breakout possibility i'm going to target yost and and, in some pools this year he'll be centered at the moment uh, at the outset rather by jt Comfer who managed 13 goals in a a third line role that's pretty good production alex kerfoot is another guy who uh, took major steps last year 43 points he could threaten uh, for second line minutes if andrew ghetto doesn't uh, improve on his totals kerfoot for his part 43 points last year They've brought in uh, Matt Calvert, a depth player from Columbus. He had 24 points and a minus 10 last season in 69 games for the Jackets. I think this guy is a guy who could threaten for higher minutes and a better role than what uh, is being projected at the moment. Then they have uh, the likes of A.J. Greer, who had uh, 13 points in 35 games in the AHL. Colin Wilson, 18 points in 56 games. at a fourth liner a guy that I waiting to see more of offensively is Dominic Toninato. He was in the Leafs farm system, only played 37 games last season and collected a paltry two points. He's better than that. And if they give him more regular ice time, more than the 10 minutes average that he got last year, I think he should easily uh, be an offensive factor better than he showed last season.
0: Yeah, I I, I think, again, you've kind of outlined it pretty well here. There's not a whole lot of uh Kind of question marks uh, this team is going to be what you get uh, from there i i do think kerfoot is a little uh miscast in a third line role i think on on a couple other teams in the league he might might be able to crack the top six uh, and i think Nito actually is probably more likely the one to get bounced there rather than andrew ghetto but Uh, obviously slumps happen for everybody so he could uh, challenge there Uh, it's a very uh, kind of uh, young group it's a very kind of very consistent uh, I think you're going to get a lot of consistency based on what you had last season I mean looking at the the ages of the group you've only got one guy in Carl Soderbergh who's over 30 Um, but yeah this group is going to start and end with that first line Gabriel Landescott Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen Uh, if those guys struggle at all I think it's going to quickly sink this season for them Uh, looking for you know a couple younger guys uh, or uh, other um, players that could factor in Vladislav Kamenev uh, is a a 22 year old probably will spend the bulk of the season in the minors but he could get a look there as well Uh, he's spent a little bit of time uh, I believe he's gotten a couple call-ups here or there Uh, when he was with Nashville, but not a ton of experience, mostly uh, an AHL player, but I could see him kind of topping their list of potential call-ups when injuries pop up. You know, defensively, I really like this group uh, there's a lot of depth there's going to be a lot of guys competing for spots but i think the way it'll break down is nikita zadarov and tyson berry making up uh, that top pairing uh, berry at 14 goals 43 assists last year this is a, a guy that will produce um, and he's going to fly a little under the radar i don't think you're going to see his name pop up alongside you know eric carlson or uh, dustin bufflin even you know a couple of those guys but Uh, definitely someone you may want to target because I think he's going to be kind of under uh, under the radar Uh, on on that second pairing Samuel Garrard a player we talked about a ton last year we're both very high on him I I think he'll have a a solid season this year he'll play uh, pretty much every game this year I would imagine Uh, saw you know just five games with Nashville last season before the trade played 68 for Colorado Uh, so he's a player that'll have a a big impact likely going to be Eric Johnson there as his uh, his defensive pairing Uh, Johnson is dealing with kind of a knee injury from you know the end of last year but everything seems to be projecting well for him to be healthy and ready to go and then the the third pairing really uh, I think Ian Cole's the obvious lock here uh, in this third pairing you don't bring in a guy like that Uh, without you know plans to use him obviously Uh, they signed him paying him 4.2 mil uh, a year so he'll definitely be on that third pairing who he's with I think it's probably going to be Patrick Niemeth uh, as long as his shoulder holds up. But from there, it could be, you know, Anton Limholm could compete. Mark Alt uh, is another name. David Warsawski, even Mark Barbro. So there's a, a handful of guys whose future is really going to be determined in camp here. Uh, but the other five. Uh, Cole, Johnson, Gerard Zadorov, and Barry, I think, are all locks for kind of where they're at uh, and should provide some some decent numbers. For me, the like I said, Gerard, we talked about him a ton last year. His offensive upside isn't huge, um, but he'll definitely give you some numbers, a solid kind of uh, mid-range guy that you could look at picking up.
1: You know what? I like the top end of this defense, too. It's sometimes a situation, when you look at a guy like Barry, he's paired with a defensive-minded guy, but his partner is projected to be Zadorov. He's, guy, he's a guy who has underperformed and, and not reached his offensive potential yet in the NHL. He did get 20 points last year in 77 games. If they keep this pair together, it could be electric, and Zadorov's point total should rise dramatically because they'll pass the puck between each other and set up plays together, rather than Tyson Berry uh, ignore the fact that he's a competent, offensively skilled partner there. So keep an eye on Zdorov in that situation. Eric Johnson's a guy that's been underrated in terms of his offensive abilities formerly a very high draft pick too and he's partnered with another guy who has pretty good skills on that second unit so they, I think they get, get a ton of offense from their defense here and Johnson and Zadorov should not be overlooked in terms of filling out their your depth component I agree with you that Nemeth should be a guy that steps up here and partners with Cole and and if he does uh, that's a very competent top six and then the wild card in all those is Sergey Boykov. he was injured all of last season but still is a highly regarded prospect here and if he's healthy he'll challenge for a position. And who knows, maybe even threatened for top four minutes. I, I could see him doing that well just based on the pedigree that he had in his early part of his career. In terms of the net-minding net mix, AJ, it's uh, we mentioned Varlamov and Grubauer. We covered, I covered it off with a lot of commentary and the preamble here, so I won't add much more other than to say that Varlamov has been the guy that's held the fort Playing 51 games last year and uh, kind of dealing with injury woes. He'll be challenged uh, to uh, top that mark because Grubauer wasn't brought in here to sit on the bench and pick splinters out of his butt. He's going to play <laughs> quite a bit and and see if he's worth a long longer look. So, this is a goaltending situation that I, I could see almost being very even, in my opinion. In terms of depth, they have the guy, uh, Spencer Martin, had a cup of coffee with them in the past, but he has uh, done well in San Antonio in the AHL with 34 appearances last season. And deep numbers down there adam werner is a prospect from sweden who comes along with with great numbers as well also had a cup of coffee in san antonio so the goaltending depth is certainly there whether varlamov goes or stays
0: yeah and i i, I think i kind of indicated off the top I, I do think varlamov will see the bulk of the starts um, but he'll be on a short lease if he struggles at all Uh, I think they'll switch to to Grubauer here Uh, and then after this season he'll be looking for a new home. So uh, like you said we kind of covered it off the top Uh, but for me Varlamov's the guy out the gates but uh, they'll be quick with the hook uh, if he struggles at all.
1: And uh, that brings us to the third team in our mix. We're looking at the Dallas Stars and uh, wonder off the top if Tyler Sagan could be this year's next year's John Tavares AJ. He's a pending UFA playing out his contract at $5.7 million this year at 26 years of age. He'll be highly sought after next season if he does make it to free agency. He's a signature player here in Dallas next to Jamie Ben. So you, you know they locked up Ben for several years at a $9.5 million cap hit. It's going to cost them more to keep Sagan in the lineup. So that's, the, uh, that's a big chunk out of the top end of their salary cap situation, which as of today, they have a couple of spots still to fill and only five million dollars to do it with so they'll be challenged to keep uh, the high end of this roster intact beyond the next couple of years I think with the fact that but the fact that Jason Spezza's money is coming off may be best news for them that's seven and a half million dollars that will come off the cap I don't see them signing him maybe at all next season but certainly if he comes back it'll be at a lot less than 7.5 mil so offering them flexibility elsewhere and uh, beyond that as deaf players on the forward ranks on the defense Mark Mathot is a guy who's playing out a high cap hit as well of 4.9 million at 33 years of age he won't get that money again going forward so maybe a couple of guys coming off the books helps this team manage their money and afford to re-sign a guy like Tyler Sagan Uh, I wonder what you think about the rest of the mix here
0: yeah, I think uh, I think they'll get the deal with Sagan done. I mean, most recent reports uh, indicate, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put it in quotation marks, marks that the sides have made significant progress uh, towards a uh, contract extension. What exactly significant uh, progress, or rather, significant dis- discussions uh, exactly means remains to be seen. But I would imagine that they'll lock him in there. And yeah, as you as you highlighted, he's basically going to get. Uh, Tyler say or uh, Jason Spezza's money essentially Uh, he'll be up there right around uh, they're paying Jamie Ben nine and a half I would imagine Sagan's gonna you know take in uh, about that same mark maybe a little bit higher even Uh, and yeah I I think the uh, the big question marks for them as far as re-signing guys uh, are going to be you know mostly depth players if if they want to bring them back uh, and guys that kind of need to prove what they're worth. Uh, Julius Honka, Essa Lindell on, on defense are guys who need to prove that they need another contract uh, forwards, Matthias Janmark uh, and Brett Ritchie, another pair of guys that, that kind of are on uh, last year deals and, and improve it situations. Show us, why you're worth uh, another deal and uh, when we start to break down the
1: offense here of course we begin with Ben and Sagan and again according to my sidekick theory whoever plays on the right wing is going to be a guy to watch and last year we previewed uh, this team and mentioned Alex Radloff could get that job well if you listened again he rewarded you he was almost a point a game guy with 72 points in a full slate of uh, games played he's a real heart and soul player that I like a lot in this mix and uh, a guy that the Montreal Canadiens certainly missed from the time that that he left that organization but Ben and Sagan they've threatened for top 10 scoring in the NHL they'll do it again this season if they stay together and uh, that'll be one of the more potent lines in NHL there would be a significant drop-off expected and And we'll see that in the likes of Matthias Janmark, Faxa, and Tyler Pitlick. None of these guys projects to be more than a forty-point guy. So, uh, no surprises there that there's a significant drop-off. New guy in the mix here is Blake Como, coming over from Colorado. He had thirty-four points last season. That that could make him a threat for second-line minutes because that's exactly what Janmark got last season. Jason Spezza, looking for a rebound and maybe to extend his career, has to do much better than the twenty-six points he provided. An interesting thing here is that Valerie Nechushkin is back for another look with Dallas. He had a go-around with them earlier in his career, went over the KHL and picked up 27 points in 50 games. He's going to give it another try with Dallas. And uh, boy, this is a big body player. And if he plays to the potential that I think he has he will easily slot in as a top six player in this mix. Beyond that, it's deaf players like Remy Elli, Devon Shore, and Brett Ritchie, who will fill out the roster here. Uh, Martin Hansel is a guy that we should discount because he's got recurring back injuries, and I just don't have faith in a guy to do much better than what he did last year was 10 points and 38 games played.
0: Yeah, I'd be surprised, uh, you know, even once he is healthy, which is projected to be into November, uh, I'd be surprised if they use him Uh, a ton and a lot of that is going to come down to you know as you said how uh, Jason Spezza rebounds whether Jason Dickerson Uh, Dickinson or Devin Shore kind of takes over that that fourth line center spot Um, and if if uh, Valerie Nishkinen is on uh, the third line for opening night I'll be shocked Uh, Tyler Pitlick is not gonna last uh, in that top six role I I think uh, after camp I think uh, Nishkinen will take that over I mean you look at his numbers the last time he was uh, in the NHL uh, hit, uh, you know, in 20, 2013, played 79 games, 34 points, uh, was kind of unused in 2014. And then 2015, another 79 games played and 29 points. And he's only gotten better uh, with the time spent in the KHL. So I, I will be shocked uh, if he's not in a top six role uh, come opening night. So, yeah, a couple couple of moving parts here. And I expect you'll you'll see those those changes come in pretty quick. Uh, Defensively, uh, looks like Essa Lindell is going to get the job uh, with John Klingberg. And and as you highlighted, uh, you know, talking about Colorado, uh, a lot of times there's there's not that kind of similar bump up uh, for a defensive partner. But uh, Lindell's by no means, uh, you know, he's not a a Mark Mathot, Paul Martin kind of. kind of defensive guy he'll he'll get some points and he'll definitely contribute I think his ceilings probably in the mid-30s uh, but he should make an impact here obviously Klingberg coming off uh, eight goals 59 assists last year he'll definitely uh, produce heavily as well uh, and so uh, that's kind of the top pairing from there you've got Mathot who is not going to add much offensively uh, it's just not his game he's a shut down guy Stefan Johns projects to be the the pairing with him Although they could switch that up, you know, they could move Mathad up and, and Lindell down to kind of give them two sets of lines with like an offensive guy and a defensive guy. Because uh, Stefan Johns is is not exactly a, a powerhouse offensively either. And then I think you're looking at a third pairing, Amiro Heskinen, who's probably going to come over, um, should come over and, and stay uh, he's 19-year-old defenseman. Been playing in his, uh, you know, his his homeland there. Um, but he should make make the transition uh, to the NHL. I think Roman Polak figures to be the other guy. Now, uh, the wild card here for me is Julius Honka. He will definitely challenge his skin in uh, Dylan He Heath, Heatherington, I think, is the odd man out. I don't expect him to stick around much, um, but it could. It is still fluid. Again, I think those other five are set. Who pairs up with Polak I think is the biggest question mark.
1: Yeah, I like the addition of Polak as a third line guy. He'll insulate whoever is on the third line and third pairing here and protect a guy like Heiskanen who comes over from Finland with a lot of offensive skills. And what I like about the top four defensemen that we named is each of them has a pretty solid plus rating here. So when they're playing five on five, this is a pretty formidable team defensively. Uh, more, More than I would have expected until we dove into the numbers here. And Roman Polak only helps that situation because this guy can play Uh, tough as nails and he's really good in the shorthanded situation too so it affords them the flexibility to leave some of their top end guys off that penalty kill unit where other teams do use a lot of their top players to defend against a penalty penalty kill uh, situation, Pollock's a guy who will take a lot of those minutes up. Honka, I think, is a guy also to watch out in this mix. For if Heiskanen doesn't work out, maybe he flips over to left defense and and picks up the slack there. So they have some flexibility. They certainly have enough depth here, uh, barring a whole slew of injuries. In the net-minding mix, it's uh, a new face is the backup behind Ben Bishop. Ben Bishop, for his part though, played 53 games, uh, 26 wins, five shutouts, some pretty good numbers besides that, a 916 save percentage, 249 goals against. He needs to show you can play a little bit more than that, AJ, in my opinion. 53 games is not what you want from your top end goal. You want him closer to that 60 mark. And I could see them giving him a shot provided he's healthy. He's had those concerns in the past, but needs to rebound. But they did pick up some good insurance, I think, in terms of bringing in Anton Kudobin from the Bruins. He appeared in 31 games last season, so a well-used backup who was one of the best in the league when you consider that he recorded 16 wins for the Bees, 9-13 safe percentage, 256 is the the goals against. They also have depth and a very interesting prospect, prospect, former first-round pick in the 2017 draft jake ottinger from boston university i'll steal your thunder by talking about a minor league or college (laughs) player guy aj he appeared in 38 games in college winning 21 with five shutouts again very solid numbers 915 goal uh, save percentage 245 goals against in case one of these top two guys falters you can bet that they're going to make the call to ottinger i think as the the, uh, guy who can fill in
0: yeah, I, I definitely think this is uh, all Ben Bishop here, but they'll they'll rest him a little bit more, having that uh, insurance with Cudabain in the back. So um, it, it it projects to be pretty much um, you know all Ben Bishop, but maybe his games uh, play it'll go down a bit, just because they want to uh, you know get him a little rest there, uh, as far as getting him ready for a postseason run. So I don't really see much uh, much changing in here. Uh, I really don't I'm going to disagree I don't think they'll really end up going uh, to Ottinger and and kind of diving into the the well there I think you're going to see all Ben Bishop Anton Kudobin I think more likely than not they'll pull up an AHL guy uh, and let Ottinger just kind of take the year to develop so a little bit of a different take as far as depth goes but overall uh, you're getting what you're seeing there as far as uh, you know, the, the start breaks down. Uh, we'll head over to, to Minnesota next. We'll take a look at their cap situation. Uh, they're pretty tight up against it, but they've got their full complement of guys. They've got about 1.7 remaining, uh, as far as heading into the next season, the biggest question here is whether or not they want to bring back Eric Stahl. Uh, he's on the last year of his deal, 3500000 million he'll make this year. He'll be 34 years old uh, when he's looking for a new contract next season, going to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, all indications are that he he likes it up in Minnesota, doesn't really foresee moving somewhere else, but it'll be interesting to see what they can get uh, get him to sign. Eric Fair is a guy that's not going to be back, uh, in my opinion. Matt Hendricks, same thing. They'll let those guys kind of walk in free agency. Uh, Joel Erickson-Eck uh, is a restricted free agent. They'll need to get him on a contract, but he hasn't done a ton to the point where they're going to have to pay him a huge price tag. And defensively, they're pretty much locked in uh, for the next two seasons, uh, really not looking at, at too many question marks there. Uh, you've got Gustav Olofsson as a restricted free agent and Nate Prosser as an unrestricted free agent. I don't really think they're going to be uh, wringing their hands over trying to figure out what to do with those guys. Uh, the one question on goal is Alex Stalock. Do they try and sign him uh, to, to a longer term deal? Uh, as far as shoring up the backup situation but they've got Devin Dubnik signed in for two more seasons after this year uh, so really yes they're hard up against the cap but there's not really a whole lot of questions that this team needs to answer in terms of players who need to get signed
1: yeah I mean we can get into that in a sec the, I agree with everything you said they they could get complacent though if things are the status quo there's nobody pushing for jobs they Nobody needing more money, so things could be pretty calm there, um, you might think. But Eric Stahl, how do you not pay a guy who is uh, your leading scorer? 76 points in 82 games last year. He's really enjoyed a revival uh, of his career in uh, in Minnesota. I thought he was almost near the end of it when he was with his previous stop, but boy, he's lit it up since moving over to uh, one of the hockey hotbeds in the United States there. Uh, 3.5 million, a cap hit, for a 33-year-old guy, you think that's that's about fair, but based on what he's done, he deserves a raise, and so that'll be an interesting situation to watch if he can repeat with another quality season. He'll get that chance in the first line here because it's featuring uh, guys le- that he's played with before, and that's Jason Zucker and Michael Grandlin. All three of these guys should be over 60 points, threatening 70 or 80. In fact, something Stahl could do and drag these guys up uh, higher than the 60s that they scored last season as well, if all goes perfectly. But, uh, Beyond that, Zach Parise is a guy who I'm looking for a bounce-back campaign from if he could stay healthy, AJ. That's the big thing with Parise, who was formerly the signature player here. But he only played 42 games last season, compiling 24 points. If you double that, that's basically a 50-point season if he plays the whole year. I expect more from that if he's healthy with his skill level. A guy who's underrated here is Mikko Koivu, who is probably a very good second-line center on most NHL teams, a really good face-off guy too. He will reach about the 50-point mark. He was just shy of that last year after playing the whole complement of games. Charlie Coyle's totals dip from the previous season, playing only 66 games and compiling 37 points. He's well off uh, career norms that he's achieved before then. The guy that I really want to see break out at some point is Nino Niederreiter. This guy might be the, the most skilled player on this roster offensively only compiling 32 points in 63 games he'll tease you with some great stretches but then he'll go missing MIA we we went weeks without talking about this guy waiting for him to perform because he went into some of those slumps and and I need to see more consistency from him based on the uh, on the history that he had as a junior and a young prospect more was expected than the 32 points he delivered last year. You mentioned Eric Sinek. I agree with you. This is a guy who hasn't shown much as well. He was a recent high draft pick, uh, only 16 points last season challenging him to do more as well from that plateau but tough for him to get more minutes when you consider the top two centers here Kyle Ralph fin- figures to finish off that third line uh, a guy who only played three games last season he'll be challenged though by the likes of Marcus Foligno who I think adds a lot of toughness here and could be a real nice addition if he can find his way into the top three lines and then uh, jordan greenway a guy who uh, also excelled at the college level with boston university basically being a point per game player may threaten for playing time they brought in jt brown another guy who can play a bit of a game with sandpaper uh, a lot of sandpaper to it Uh, he's not a big scorer but a real good guy to have around in terms of the depth part of the game
0: yeah i there really isn't just you know there's not a lot to really be excited about with this club Um, as you mentioned, Parise, uh, just hasn't been the same player that you, you know, that he was previously that you kind of expect him to be, uh, if he's healthy, you know, that should improve. Charlie Coyle is a guy that started the season on the top line for them and then quickly saw himself get bounced, uh, and dropped out of that. I'd be surprised if he finishes the season in the top six, he may not even make it out of training camp in the top six although who replaces him is a, is not, there's not really an answer to that. And, you know, Niederreiter, maybe. Um, I think the brightest spot for this team uh, is Jordan Greenway. I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, Had a, had a good showing with, with the U S at, at, at worlds. And I, I think he'll be Someone that they try and build off heading into the future. Uh, and, and I do want to make one additional comment uh, about the cap situation. You mentioned uh, how do you not pay a guy uh, in Eric Stahl for, for what he did last season? I'm not in the business of paying guys what they did last year. Uh, you got to do it guys. Again. He's got to do it again. Oh see, I, I don't I don't necessarily see it. Uh I mean he'll probably lead the team in scoring, but that's because everybody else I think is gonna be so bad. <laughs> uh so I, I just don't see, you know, uh him continuing to produce at, at such a level you know, it'll be 34 next year, as I said. And, and so I just don't think they probably will. You're probably right. They probably will pay him, uh, based on what he's done in the past, but I think that's bad business. You need to pay what you think a guy is going to do in the future. Um, but you are probably right. They probably will give him that deal and then they'll regret it down the road. <laughs> um, defensively, uh, you've got, uh, two great, uh, first sets of guys here, Ryan Sutter and Matthew Dumba is going to be the leading, uh, pairing here. Both these guys can score Um, you know Sutter is dealing with an ankle injury but played uh, in in the Stars and Stripes showdown uh, at the end of August here appears to be healthy and ready to go Uh, both guys had uh, 50 plus point campaigns both guys I think can do it again and they're going to lead kind of this group but there's not a huge drop off when you look at Jared Spurgeon, uh, his partner probably Jonas Brodin. Uh, that might be your only kind of question mark drop off here, but I think uh, regardless of who plays with Spurgeon, uh, you'll you'll see a, a good two sets of pairs. Uh, everything for me gets muddled after that. It, it probably looks like Nick Sealer and Greg Patton coming over from Dallas as that third pairing, but you could easily put Ryan Murphy, even Carson Sousey, Nate Prosser. Uh, Gustav Olofsson's a guy that could compete for time. Uh, so I think this third group is just full of question marks, uh, what they look on opening night. I don't think is what you'll see on the last game of the season. I think you'll see a rotation going through with these guys. I think you'll see demotions, call-ups guys getting time. Uh, generally speaking, there's, there's 82 games to be played. Uh, and most of these guys will see a bit of that. It'll be broken up. Uh, throughout the season. So I like the first two pairings. I think they're solid. Broden Brodin even could lose time alongside Spurgeon and, and get knocked down as well. Um, so really, it's those it first three are locks. Everything else is up in the air, in my opinion.
1: I agree with you. This is a defense that has a very different look uh, than it did a couple of years ago. Ryan Souter and Matt Dumba will carry the mail uh, as uh, they have for years. Maybe the best thing they ought to consider is splitting these guys up a little bit. And uh, that might help the mix, but... uh Beyond that, it's a drop-off to Jared Spurgeon, who is so- a solid second-pairing guy, but Brodine is a guy who uh, had a big plus-minus and will be challenged to do much more than the 21 points. He's not much of a scoring threat from the blue line, and so that's a bit of a concern in the second pairing if you want to nitpick a little bit because they do have three pretty good scorers in Spurgeon, Dumba, and Sutter. Uh, but uh, beyond that, it's depth guys. Uh, Nick Sealer, a guy who did well in the AHL last season but didn't do much with 22 games in the NHL level, Greg Patteron, a guy that comes over from Dallas, it could be a depth uh, guy, but not not a scoring threat. Matt Barkowski might be the guy with the most upside from the depth point of view here. He has NHL experience playing with Boston and Calgary. Only a cup of coffee with Calgary last season because he spent most of his time either injured or in the minors beyond that. So he needs to do something to revive his career. He's more skilled offensively than what he's showing in the last uh, season or two. We look at the goaltending mix, the familiar name of Devin Dubnik, uh, one of the workhorses in the NHL. You can pencil him in as a lock to play at least as much as he did last season with 60 games played. 35 wins and five shutouts. Boy, that's a high-end goalie when you look at the the wins and the shutouts he compiled. And the save percentage and and goals against are pretty good, too, at 918 and 252 for one guy who's really found his groove since uh, playing with Minnesota, uh, a real key part of this team. Alex Daylock, a pretty quality backup uh, guy you don't lose too much when you can throw in a guy with a nine ten save percentage and, a, and goals against under three in the backup role. And even in reserve, they got Andrew Hammond. He's a couple of years removed from being the hand burg- burglar in in Ottawa. <laughs> but uh, a guy with some NHL experience as your number three guy in reserve is pretty good death situation there as well.
0: I agree that, that Dubnik's a lock for 60-plus for games. Uh, he's hit that total each of the last three seasons. What I don't think he's going to hit this year is the 30 win mark, and it has nothing to do with his performance. I just think the team around him is simply not good enough uh, to get him there. I think you'll see his his numbers steadily. Uh, his wins will drop off a little bit. His goals against and save percentage will probably creep up. The only thing that might keep his save percentage down is the sheer number of shots that I think he's going to see. Um, I, I, I expect he'll see significantly more. Uh, looks like he saw just under 1,800 shots last year. I would be surprised if that number didn't creep up uh, to closer to 1,900 shots there. Uh, so it, we'll see if he can hold up. Uh, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't blame him for any sort of uh, statistical drop-off he has this season. I think it's solely uh, based on the team around him. That brings us
1: to the fifth team in our analysis here. There's only seven in this loop, so we're nearing the end of the uh, the look here at the Central Division. But we'll take a, a peek at the Nashville Predators, a team that went pretty far last season and was one of our top pre- pieces and picks to thread for the Stanley Cup, and they didn't really disappoint. Their salary cap situation is also one that uh, is, is intriguing when you consider that they have $7 million left to spend under the cap and yet they've signed all their key guys they've got several of them locked up for long term here offensively when you consider that Kevin Fiala might be the, the only name recognition guy that needs a, a new deal and he's coming off a situation where he needs to do show more than he did last season to earn those big bucks uh he did have 64 points last season but uh, sorry Fiala had 48 points last season I think more is expected of him than that and so uh, I think there's room to accommodate him uh, unless he goes off for like a point-of-game situation here. Then they might be a little bit hard-pressed because the rest of the guys are all in order offensively and defensively. The question mark in the Nets that might upset all that is Pekka Rinne, who is 35 years of age. This is a tough one, AJ. Coming into the final year of a situation where he's paid $7 million, he's been one of the top-tier goalies in the NHL throughout his NHL career. But boy, do you re-sign a guy like him for anything more, a penny more than seven million or does he maybe accept a little bit of a reduction in salary and or a, sp- a change in split with UC Saros that uh, will accommodate the salary cap situation here that's going to be the most intriguing thing to watch in Nashville I think from the cap perspective
0: yeah I definitely agree uh, with with that assessment I, I think Fiala will get paid but uh, to your point it'll probably be uh, in the two to three maybe four million mark uh, for him but, yeah, Peke Rene I think, is going to point to Marc-Andre Fleury's contract uh, making seven mil. Fleury is a, a two years younger, but he's another veteran guy that's been in the league for a long time. And I think he's going to l- say hey, look, I'm just as good as that guy. I need to be making uh, pretty much the same that I have been, which is what Fleury is going to be making next year, that $7 million. So uh, I I think that's what he's going to ask for. And if I'm I'm being completely honest, I think he'll get it as well. Uh, Yes, uh, a little bit older, he'll be 36 when he's looking for that new deal. Um, but a guy that's been, you know, relatively healthy throughout his career has, you know, been the backbone of this team. Now, I won't rule out the possibility that he takes uh, kind of a discount here. You know, you look at a guy, uh, you know, you've got uh, Ryan Ellis signed what seemed like a huge contract, eight year, 50 million. But when you break it down, uh, Ellis's deal is just 6.25, uh, heading into next season. And he's locked up long-term clearly gave them a hometown discount and maybe Rennie is willing to do that as well. Uh, so we'll see, but, uh, I would expect him to be back with this team. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a, a some sort of extension at some point during the season here.
1: All right, let's take a look now at the forward situation and how it breaks down. They have a pretty good top line, AJ, that uh, when you consider the components, at least one of them might be a little bit underrated. And uh, Philip Fortberg and Ryan Johansson, they're two guys that that uh, will hold the fort at left wing and center. Johansson uh, is the center on the number one line, 54 points last season. I think he's going to do better than that with uh, his... Uh, his line mates, uh, Victor Arvidsson, filling out that compliment, 61 points for him. He's the kind of lesser light in terms of name recognition on this unit, and so you might be able to snake him later in the draft than his point total might suggest, but Johansson is a guy I think that could do a lot better than fifty-point-four points he garnered last season. Fiala is a guy, as I mentioned, that needs to do more than the 48 points that he showed up with last season playing the 80 games that he did. Uh, Kyle Touris, a very good playmaking center. He split time with Ottawa, uh, last year's season and a really good number two center here uh, he streaked uh, he was a streaky guy last season six, uh, 51 points in total I think he could do right around that same mark Craig Smith is a journeyman player who again is underrated on that right flank and you can get him late in the draft and if he rewards you with a 51 points last year I'd consider, consider that a big win the neat thing to notice about all six of these guys is again they're all double figures in terms of plus minus so they bring an all-around game as you might expect from one of the top teams in the league. Beyond that, you're looking at depth options here. I won't bother with going into the point totals on Sisson, Panino, and Motson. You might want to if, if you want to, uh, AJ. But I'd rather look at a depth guy that's coming over from the KHL. That's Eli to- Toivinen, 36 points in 49 games in the AHL. That's pretty good numbers. Uh, Ryan Hartman coming over from Chicago, another guy that could threaten for top six minutes. If Smith falters, uh, he's a guy that would be a candidate in my mind to rise up the ranks beyond that it's depth guys across the board Fred, Fred Frederick Gaudreau is the guy who's coming up to challenge from the AHL 43 points in 54 games played might be another guy to watch in terms of an offensive contribution here
0: yeah absolutely uh and and let's not forget they've got Emil Petterson as well who could challenge for a role uh at some point this season uh what's uh kind of intriguing about this whole group is that even that that fourth line can put some points on the board uh, and the same goes for the third line it's it's yes it's depth guys they're not going to have quite the the production that you'll see out of the top six but I think most of these guys in Nashville's bottom six could potentially challenge for top six roles on other teams Uh, and and maybe you know maybe not completely break into it but at least push guys to get better and challenge for those spots so uh, this is a really deep forward group and it it means this is going to be a really hard team to pair up against Uh, when you can put out Toyvan and Yarnrock and Hartman to potentially produce against you know other lines that's that's a lot for other teams to handle uh, and I think it bodes well for their season defensively uh, this team somehow figures out how to get you know even better uh, you've got Roman Yossi Ryan Ellis as that top pairing Matias Ekholm and P.K. Subban uh, as the second group and then they bring over Dan Hamhus uh, who's uh, you know a, a solid 20 point guy as a third pairing yes he's you know getting up there he's 35 years old He'll pair with Yannick Weber, but potentially Matt Irwin could uh, flip with Weber as well. Uh, And they've even got Anthony Bieto hanging in the wings as as another option here. Uh, Somehow this defense managed to get better. And I definitely think that is the case. Alexi Emelin uh, is out. Dan Hamhuis is in as a replacement and an upgrade, to be perfectly honest with you. This is a decor that's pretty much unmatched in the league. I don't see anybody else putting up uh this kind of group and and like i said it's it's gonna be a hard team to compete with pretty much across the board
1: yeah i think any of the top four all four of the top four defensemen should be drafted in deep pools uh, before it gets too late hen he more of a defensive specialist that's the kind of guy you want in a third line role i'll mention one more name and that's philip pirokta from the czech league he comes over to challenge for a depth position and if they find something here it just gets even better so maybe some flexibility to deal one of these defensemen comes along if pirokta comes along and and shows that he could be a top four guy. Can you imagine the flexibility that would allow them to deal a guy like a Matias Ekholm for for some strength offensively elsewhere? So uh, something to watch out for in terms of the depth situation of a a very good Nashville defensive core that might be the best in the league. In terms of the goalie mix, we spent some time talking about Pekka Rene getting a little bit up there in terms of the birth certificate, but boy, every year seems to knock it out of the park with stats like 42 wins and eight shutouts. 231 goals against average and a 927 save percentage he should threaten all those marks again behind such a deep team you see saros a very good backup goalie who has very good numbers on his own of his own the save percentage right there with pecorine two one thousandths below at 925 and then a goals against average just to tick higher at 245 so that just shows you they've got some quality there in the backup role and even in the ahl troy grosnick who's had a couple of looks at the nhl level is a guy that, that they have in reserve If one of these two guys gets hurt, Grosnick will get the call.
0: Yeah, and I I don't want to get too much into, you know, preseason predictions. Uh, You know, it's a dangerous game to play. Um, But don't be surprised if Rene picks up the Vesna Trophy at the end of the season again. uh, The team around him is fantastic. The defense in front of him will do everything it can to help him. The guy's coming off a career year with a a career-high .927 save percentage last season. Uh, I'm sorry, actually, that's the second highest of his career. Uh, His first full season in Nashville, he was a .93, but uh, pretty much career numbers there. And I, I figure he'll be right back there again. Uh, I would expect maybe a little less games played. Uh, they, the, you know, UC Saros proved to be very capable at filling in. Uh, but for the most part should be right around the 60 games played mark, maybe closer to 55 just to prepare him for the post season. But, uh, yeah, this, this is a, a player that, uh, just seems to get better with age, uh, and is showing no signs of slowing down, uh, heading into, Our next team, we'll talk about the St. Louis Blues. Uh, For all the uh, you know, lack of question marks with Nashville, we have a ton of question marks here with St. Louis. (laughs) Uh, they're hard up against the cap, but they'll have all their players for this season. The question is what they do following that. You've got Patrick Maroon, who's making just 1.75 mil this year. He'll be an unrestricted free agent. They'll probably want to lock him into another deal. I think the biggest question, Mark, is what do you do with Robbie Fabry? This is a guy that's missed a ton of time in the last two years. He's a restricted free agent. He's obviously going to want to get uh, paid a little bit here, but he hasn't played enough really uh, to to showcase that. So we'll see if he can stay healthy this year, what he can do. Um, but you've also got Dmitry Jaskin, Nikita Shoshnikov, Ivan Barbashev, all guys that are looking for new deals, uh, a handful of others. Uh, and then it gets even more questions, uh, defensively. You've got Joel Edmondson, who's going to be a restricted free agent. Uh, Jay Bowmeister, do you bring him back at 35 years of age? He's making 5.5 this year. Uh, probably going to want to make similar money next season. You also have Carl Gunnerson and Robert uh, Bertuzzo, uh, looking for new deals next season. They still have Jordan Schmaltz who hasn't signed yet. Uh, as a restricted free agent this season uh, you know looking at the math I'm just not sure how uh, they can really fit him in here Um, but obviously they're going to keep trying and then Vince Dunn uh, is saving them a ton of money by not making a a lot on his uh, entry-level deal so uh, there are so many question marks for this group the you know goaltending wise Allen's locked up for another two years they've got Chad Johnson in for this season as the backup He's not going to cost them too much if they want to re-sign next season, but a lot, a lot of question marks for this club.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think they did themselves any big favor either by signing a guy like Tyler Bozak for three years at $5 million each. That's a lot of money to pay for a guy who could be your third-line center here and uh, kind of puts the screws to the rest of their depth. Can you imagine if guys like Barbashev, Sunquist, and Fabry all have good seasons next year? They're going to all need significant bumps in salary. I don't see how they retain then a guy like a Jay Bowmeister on the blue line when others, others need to be paid, and is getting up there in age. So really, uh, a lot of balls in the air here uh, to try and keep everything in order from the ca- salary cap. You might see a lot of changeover on this roster going forward. Let's take a look at the depth offensively, though. A healthy Jaden Schwartz—he missed 20 games last year. A healthy guy like that should threaten a point a game mark. He was at 59 points in 62 games last year. Braden Shen holding down the top center role—a uh, steal of a deal that they got out of Philadelphia to get bring him over to St. Louis to lock up that first role. And Vladimir Tarasenko, simply one of the best most skilled players in the NHL, somehow only achieved 66 points last year. He's a guy that I would expect would score more than that uh, in another full campaign with uh, things going better than they did last season. I like the addition of Patrick Maroon Maroon a lot. He gave this club a hometown discount and he's played top line minutes before uh, in other circumstances and scored well. I think you can pencil him in, in for what he did last year, something in the order of 43 to 40. To 50 points. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, the big name acquisition at center, who gives him a great one two punch in the middle of the ice. David Perron comes back to St. Louis after a solid season in Vegas. And uh, he's been here before in St. Louis, so the comfort level is there. A whole new string of players on that second line, but it it looks like a pretty good unit on paper. As I mentioned, Tyler Bozak slots into the third line center situation, maybe the most expensive third line center in the National Hockey League, but a great one, two, three punch that may be only equaled by the likes of the team that he's left behind here in Toronto, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. Beyond that, it's Robbie Fabry on one wing if he's healthy. He will rebound with some good point totals there, but a real question mark around that situation until he does hit the ice. So keep an eye on what he does in the preseason. We will for sure. And Alex Steen, the wily veteran, his point production is dwindling a little bit. The plus minus also took a bit of a hit with a minus 11. So maybe we're seeing a bit of a downturn in Steen that uh, should see his point total drop from what he got last year in terms of 46 total points. Soshnikov, another former Maple Leaf, he's got tons of offensive skill and really might be good insurance that ought to play up higher in the roster if if any injuries occur on the wings you can bet he'll be the first one they call up to take that bigger role otherwise he's going to be a fourth liner here along with the likes of dimitri yaskin Jask- and uh, rob thomas a former first round pick who uh, in 2017 who should do uh, do better, uh, in terms of learning from the centers here. Uh, that's a good place for him to be. Uh, don't expect him to get a lot of ice time, but, uh, he should be, uh, well along the learning curve playing behind the likes that he will share the pivot spot in St. Louis with.
0: Yeah, I love the I love the depth on this team uh, as far as, you know, who's going to challenge for spots. Uh, Robert Thomas, Ivan Barbashev, even Oscar Sundquist, uh, all going to be in the fact, you know, in uh, factor in here, I think, throughout the season. You've got a a second line, as you mentioned, uh, that's all new. Uh, You've got guys that are are pretty much brand new. Uh, I I say all new, but you've got David Perron in there uh, who is such an interesting situation. This is a guy that's played for five different NHL teams, the Blues, the Oilers, Penguins, Ducks, and then the Golden Knights. But if you look at his contract history, all five of his contracts have been signed with St. Louis. This team just (laughs) keeps re-signing him, bringing him back. Uh, He goes other places and and just keeps coming back like a bad penny, Um, but Uh, you know, I think he'll, he'll do well for them uh, as he has in the past. Uh, But I think overall, this is a team that's gotten a lot better, a lot stronger. Uh, As I mentioned off the top, Ravi Fabry is the biggest question mark. If this guy is healthy, I think uh, 50 points is not out of the question, 20 goals for sure. Um, But the health has been his biggest downfall and, and we'll see what, what happens uh, heading into this season. Defensively, you're looking at a pretty consistent core uh, for all the added pieces on offense. Uh, they haven't changed much on defense. You've got Joel Edmondson and Alex Petrangelo uh, set to make that top pairing Petrangelo will be your key point guy on this team. And he's really, he has been in that role uh, ever since Shattenkirk left and has filled admirably. Uh, Vince Dunn, the youngster figures to be the second pairing with Colton Pareco. Both these guys can be in the 20 to 30 mark, uh, I think, but neither one's going to blow the doors off for you. And then that last group will be probably Jay Bo Carl Gunnerson. These are guys more likely to be in the 10, you know, 10 point max kind of range. You do have Robert Bertuzzo. As I mentioned, Jordan Schmaltz still hasn't signed. He's a restricted free agent uh, this year. Um, and still doesn't have a deal which could open the door uh, for a guy like Tyler Weatherspoon to to look for for a spot here on the team Uh, and we'll see how that all shakes out.
1: Yeah I like this defense AJ Alex Petrangelo one of the better defensemen in hockey Colton Pareko also very underrated I think as a potential top-scoring blue liner. That's a pretty good look on the right side. It's the left side that leaves you a little bit wanting. They got a good start out of Vince Dunn uh, in stretches early in the season last year, but his play really tailed off in the second half. They'll need more out of him than the 24 points uh, that he gave them uh, to help the offense from the back end. Joel Edmondson, a bit of a placeholder on the defense, uh, defensive heart and soul guy who will anchor that side uh, and let Petrangelo do more of his forays on the offense. Jay Bommister, a top-notch defensive shutdown defenseman, but they're paying him an awful lot of money. We touched on that. Only seven points offensively out of him. He should uh, be getting more than that. He handles the puck a lot, and it was just one of those anomalies last season. Carl Gunnarsson, former Maple Leaf. I uh, like what I, uh, I see yeah. out of this guy. Plus 15. That's pretty good numbers for a third-pairing defenseman. Depth guys also have pretty good plus ratings in in terms of Robert Bertuzzo, a plus 11. And uh, Tyler Witherspoon in the AHL, a a good insurance piece should any of these guys go down. uh, They've got a lot of depth here and he might get a look later in the season. In terms of the goalie mix here, it's a familiar face, Jake Allen, who has really emerged as a, uh, again, one of the top 10 goalies in hockey, I would suggest. Uh, Behind a pretty deep team, he will uh, be expected to press uh, hard against the 30 win plateau he got 27 last year I could see his uh, shutouts and save percentage rising dramatically as well as the goaltend goals against going down a little bit there Uh, I like the addition of Chad Johnson as the backup here he played as many as 30, appeared in 36 games last season, so a wealth of experience in the backup role here, and good insurance in case Jake Allen does go down. Vile Huso uh, toiled very well in uh, the American Hockey League, and Jordan Bennington, a guy I have a lot of time for since he's been a visitor to my home in the past and a friend of my kids. Uh, I really hope that this kid gets a look. He resigned in St. Louis, and uh, but there's a lot of depth ahead of him, and uh, I'd just like, on a personal level, to see him get a get a look at look see and and just for a cup of coffee even
0: yeah I I actually really like um, from what I've seen in his AHL game uh, I really like Jordan Binnington I think he was a great uh, kind of add to to the organization here um, I I do think uh, the Johnson move allows the team to kind of decide uh, what the future holds I think you'll see who and Binnington uh, split time uh, in the minors this season they'll compete uh, basically for potentially the backup job next year Uh, i would expect uh, both those guys are heading into restricted free agency after this season and the contract uh, will do the talking whichever one kind of gets the better deal i think will be the guy that replaces chad johnson as the backup and that'll give them a chance to to kind of showcase what they have i don't expect either one to really ever be uh, the starter here in st louis i think that's a job that belongs to jake allen He's under contract for another three, uh, two years after this season. So he'll be, uh, you know, 30 Uh, once his contract is up. They'll re-sign him, I I would imagine, to to another kind of long term deal. So really, uh, that AHL battle this year will determine who's the backup next season. And that'll give that guy a leg up on finding a new starting job uh, in the future. But neither one of these guys, unfortunately, is going to play for the Blues. But that's not a bad problem to have for the organization.
1: All right. And uh, let's take a look. And uh, the Winnipeg Jets, the final team in our look in this division and maybe the best team, at least from my perspective. The salary cap circumstance, it's a very good one when you look at the fact that they're $10 million under the cap. They have a couple of more pieces to sign. Uh, in terms of the depth part of their roster. They've got 21 professional contracts. The only unsigned key player that I think is missing from this mix right now, though, is Josh Morrissey. Beyond that, they'll be looking to fill in from their complement in the minors and uh, recent drafts. So uh, pretty good depth circumstance pretty good situation in terms of the salary cap at least at the moment but uh, looming on the horizon is the fact that they've got to pay patrick liney and kyle connor that's going to change things dramatically next season particularly with liney threatening to be one of the top scorers in hockey at least in terms of goal scoring then on the blue line they have again looming beyond this season issues with the likes of drake truba and tyler myers two guys among their top four that need to get paid beyond that it's depth guys like uh, Ben Chirot and jo- Joe Morrow, and then say it with me, my partner Laurent Brassois, a nice French-Canadian <laughs> name for you there to throw in the backup goaltendings mix. So that's the look in terms of the salary cap situation from my perspective. What say you, partner?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you're you're pretty much uh, right on there. Patrick Laine, uh is going to get going to get a huge deal I think I would imagine you're probably looking in the eight to ten range for him uh, especially as the cap continues to creep up Kyle Connor is probably going to be more in the five to six range so that's going to eat up a lot of money very quickly here um, but for the most part their kind of big pieces are locked in long term uh, Wheeler, Ayler, Shifley, and uh Brian Little are all locked in through the 2023 20, uh 24 season at best same with Connor Hellerbuck so most of the big pieces are are paid for already uh and so not not too much to concern themselves they're going to need all 10 million of that space uh next season though
1: all right, let's break down that forward compliment. Mark Shifley is a guy who got 60 points in 60 games. Those people who are looking at the top scorers from last season won't see him mix in the mix, but if you count on the fact that he will play a full schedule, he should easily get up there around the 80-point mark, perhaps more, given that he's playing with Blake Wheeler, who has, is coming off a career season and uh, is one of the best leaders in hockey, I would suggest as well. Rounding out that compliment, the aforementioned Kyle Connor. He he uh, registered 57 points. I think he could do better just by the fact that playing with a healthy Mark Shifley should improve his scoring totals. And that means he may show up the, at the pay window with a with a big bag, uh, just like Patrick liney perhaps maybe a little bit less money uh, going his way. But Liney will anchor a second scoring unit there paired with Brian Little and Nikolai Ehlers, who is uh, Laine's buddy, they want to play together and they're, they're happy to do so even if it's a second line mix. And Laine, for his part, could be on the verge of a 50-goal season if, if all goes well for him. But he's a guy who has not been a big assist guy, only 26 helpers last season. So don't overestimate him because I think he is more uh, a trigger man than a setup guy. And in the second line role, he won't get the scoring point totals that if he, if unless he goes back to a first-line role in the opposite wing. So a challenge there and a bit of a uh, uh, question mark or an, an add-on comment to Patrick Line's profile. Nikolai Ehlers, a very underrated, given that he plays in the shadows of his famous buddy, but he's a guy who threatens 60 points year in, year out. Brian Little is a guy who's a placeholder at second line. I'd like to see a better guy there. He topped out at 43 points last season. You'd like to see a little bit more Out of the second line center in that mix, in the third line there's no uh, option to threaten him though. With Adam Lowry projected to be the third line center, 21 points in 45 games, and then it uh, gets a little dicey on the wing there on the right side with Jake Jack Roslovic and Brandon Tanev, neither of whom reached 20 point mark. On the left side, it's Matthew Perot at 39 points. That's pretty good. He got some. power play time as well, so they're really strong on the left flank. Marco Dano is a guy that they picked out of Montreal a couple of seasons ago, and only three points in 21 games. They need more from him. Uh, in terms of depth players, two guys to watch are two guys that excelled at the AHL level, and that's Brendan Lemieux. Yes, he's Claude's son, and Nicholas Patan, a formerly high uh, draft pick. who was a point-of-game guy in the American Hockey League, and he played well for the Canadian juniors uh, a couple of seasons ago.
0: Well, if you're looking for a potential replacement uh, at the center position, I've got a name for you, and that's Mason Appleton. Uh, last season, AHL All-Rookie Team, first All-Star Team, most assists by a rookie all-time, 44 points, most uh, forty four assists, most uh, points by a rookie with 66, and the AHL Rookie of the Year Award. This is a guy that is not long for the minors and will probably get called up. Uh, I would guess he will earn his first call-up at some point this season, maybe not on opening day, but this is a guy that is not going to take too long to adjust. Uh, You mentioned uh, some struggles with Jack uh, Roslavich last year. I think this is a guy that will make a bigger impact this season and should compete uh, for – uh, for, you know, should be a lock for the lineup. shouldn't have to worry about getting bounced, uh, at all. Obviously, uh, he's behind a stacked right side in Blake Wheeler and Patrick line. So I don't see him going, uh, anywhere above third line, but it's not because of a lack of talent. That is for sure. Uh, defensively, we mentioned Josh Morrissey, uh, still looking for that deal, but he should be, uh, kind of their top guy alongside Jacob Truba. And then uh, the second slot here is a little bit of a question mark. Uh, I think it'll be Dmitry Kulikov, but he missed a ton of time with a back injury last year, underwent uh, surgery uh, in the, uh, the offseason here, supposed to be ready for camp, um, but I'm not totally sold. And he's slotted in against Dustin Bufflin. Uh, from there, you've got Ben Sherratt, Tyler Myers as a projected three, but I think uh, youngster Sammy Niku will compete for a spot, should earn a job uh, for the, the uh, opening night roster. Uh, he'll probably send, you know, he could see some time in the minors, maybe bounce up and down uh, if he struggles. But overall, this is another player who is an outstanding rookie in the AHL last season and I think will uh, strongly compete in camp for a regular spot in the lineup
1: yeah i I know this is a pretty strong looking defense and I wonder how how many names flew back next season. but I love the fact that you called Sammy Nico as a guy to keep an eye on. He had a good year in the AHL with fifty four points in seventy six games shows you that he has quite the offensive game, and that's what they got from the likes of Bufflin Myers, and Truba as well but those guys are all on the right side. If Nico can play on the left side that's a pretty good uh, compliment to what they got on the right uh, flank because the guys on the left side uh, none of them topped Thirty points AJ and so that's a bit of a minor concern they're all plus players because this is a very strong team though And uh, that shouldn't be overlooked when you're considering adding some of these players. They won't hurt you because they're on such a good team. And uh, speaking of that, they may have the best goalie in hockey in terms of best trophy possibilities. I'm going to put Connor Connor Hellebuck's name at the head of the list. 44 wins last season. He should threaten that this season. He also had six shutouts. 9.24 is the save percentage and 2.36, a very low goals against. He could threaten all those numbers because I'm calling it right now. I think this team is going to be the team to beat in this division. I mentioned Laurent Bassois, a competent backup. He played in Edmonton last season and also had a good time in the minors with 15 wins and 29 starts there. Eric Comrie brings a veteran component. He also played a couple of cups of coffee in the NHL earlier in his career, but also had a good time in the AHL last season. So it's not bad depth behind Hallibuck, but they can ill afford to lose maybe the best goalie in hockey right now.
0: Absolutely agree. It's, it is all Connor Hellybuck Uh, he took over last season. There was some question whether or not Steve Mason would take that job. I never really expected Mason to compete for that. I thought it was Hellybuck all the way, uh, made it through his, his prove it season and got paid in the off season and is, uh, handsomely rewarded as he should be i think Brosois is a great addition to the club uh, although as you mentioned having eric Comrie in the wings is not a bad uh, situation to find yourself in
1: aj we're going to have a fan duel component in the show when the regular season starts we haven't got a lot to talk about there yet in the hockey side but the nfl has taken off and uh, boy it's uh, a intri- intriguing storylines all- over the league with a number of rookies making the grade there How's your team your favorite team look this season?
0: Uh well the the Packers uh had a little bit of a uh injury scare there but uh, uh Rodgers came back and uh and led us to to victory over the rival Bears which is never a bad thing to happen. <laughs> um as far as FanDuel goes uh, yes, the NFL is back. I've actually really been enjoying a little bit of college football uh, action on Fanduel as well. Used uh, the optimizer to some success last uh, last Saturday. cashed in a couple of lineups. Uh, not not playing for the big bucks there, but uh, you know every dollar helps. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's it's been good. Uh, the The college football optimizer has done me well. Uh, also trying some uh, some soccer uh, contests as well. So there's plenty to do over on FanDuel until the NHL season starts.
1: Well, and let's wind up the show with a couple of things here. We want to plug next week's show, AJ, before I go much further. And uh, uh, we have a, a connection with the WWE for wrestling fans out there. Matt Stryker, an announcer on that program, and formerly a wrestler of some repute. Is going to be joining us when we break down the Metropolitan Division, and I understand you've thrown down the gauntlet. Do you want to have a Texas death match
0: with this guy <laughs> in the first show? I'll be the. You special- are making stuff up. I'm Bob. going to
1: be the special guest referee for that. I hope Matt's listening and he brings his gear because it should be good. You look like a pretty tough guy, AJ, and I've shaken your hand.
0: There's a lot of power in this guy, Matt. I'd be wary. <laughs> you you are making stuff up a hundred percent I have no interest in getting in the ring with this guy he he would uh toss me around like a rag doll
1: (laughs) I'd pay to see that either way it'd be kind of funny in any case we want to get into the breakdown of the standings at the end of the season AJ how do you see things shaking down in the central division when we end the 82 game regular season schedule
0: well, I originally had Winnipeg winning this uh winning the division, but the more I think about it, I, I just can't see Nashville getting dethroned. Um it's gonna be a close race between these two clubs, um, but Nashville just has a little bit more uh, scoring depth, a little bit more of uh, a short-up defense. Uh, and so uh, the goaltenders are, are both phenomenal. Uh, it'll be close. Uh, it could easily flip. But I'm going to go uh, Nashville, Winnipeg as the one-two. I like Colorado to to take the third spot. Uh, I know there's some questions with Varlamov in the health, but the rest of that team looks really good. Although again, I could flip that with St. Louis, uh, who's a solid team, has solid net minding. The defense is a question mark for St. Louis for me, and so um, yeah, Nashville, Winnipeg, Colorado, St. Louis. I think Chicago uh, will drop off and and land in the five spot. I think Dallas has just too uh, many question marks there for this team to really compete in this division. And I think Minnesota is going to be the bottom here. Um, it's, it's not going to be Devin Dubnik's fault, that's for sure. Um, but there's just not a lot of depth uh, outside of the top end of that roster. So for me, Nashville, Winnipeg, Colorado, St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, Minnesota.
1: Yeah, I have a few issues with what you said, but they're very all very close calls. I'm going to give Winnipeg the Duke here. I just think that this team has all the tools and all the makings of a team that's ready to go and really challenge for the Cup. They're, of course, they get, you can say the same thing about Nashville. I think it's a wafer-thin difference between the two teams, but I'm going to give the nod to Winnipeg just because I like their their high-end forwards a little bit more than I do the high-end Nashville guys, and I think that could be the difference maker because they're the rest of the way. Uh St. Louis Blues, I think, get the nod for me. I like their depth at center, although they paid for it like I mentioned earlier with the Bozak signing. The Colorado fourth place team, they had a real good uh uptick last season. I think they threatened for a playoff spot in a wild card. And I could easily see them jumping into the third spot of St. Louis Falters. Minnesota and uh, Chicago and Dallas rounded out for me. I just think that there's too many concerns with each of these teams to threaten for a playoff spot. So they'll be on the outside looking in. So that wraps up this uh, second week. AJ, you got any final comments before we go away and prepare for next week?
0: No, I just, uh, you know, it's it's... Exciting to be back to being so close. Uh, Got a little bit of taste this last week with uh, a lot of the prospect tournaments going on. Uh, we'll have preseason hockey kicking off, uh, in a couple days here. So should be, uh, right around the corner and, uh, you know, I'll just throw a plug RotoWire will be there, uh, with all your late breaking news, goalie confirmations, as always, uh, have to check back there, whether you're season long or DFS, you're going to need to check that goalie grid, uh, and get, uh, make sure your guy is going on a night to night basis.
1: All right. Great plug there. And that wraps it up for this week's episode of PuckCast with Statsman and AJ. Remember, Remember, Remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Please follow me at paul bruno at statsman 22 and you can follow aj at aj shoals 24 that's aj s-c-h-o-l-z 24 we hope you enjoyed this show and keep an eye out for the metropolitan division preview next week where we introduce you to our friend uh, matt Stryker, who's going to add a different perspective he's a new jersey guy so he'll have a lot to say about this division and it's a great way to get his feet wet with a group that he's very familiar with as always we invite you to listen in to get our tips to stay ahead of the new the competition in your fantasy hockey offseason planning So long, everybody.